Glad to be with all of you here today. I hail from Beaufort, not too far away, and uh, at the Parish Church of St. Helena. I wonder if you would bow your heads and please pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Convert and consecrate our lives for our great good and for Jesus' greater glory. For it is in his name we ask these things. Amen. It is the desire of the middle school girls who make it known on their backpacks, their shoes, and their folders. It is the desire of the Miss America pageant contestant as the hot lights glare and the audience awaits her answer. It is the desire of the soldier fighting for his life in a bunker. It is the desire of the father fighting for his sanity as he drives a van full of bickering children on the long road trip. It is the desire of the woman racked with the worries that keep her up at night. It is the desire of the man whose guilty conscience will not go to sleep. I am speaking of peace, that universal and elusive human longing. Peace certainly was what the nation of Judah and the two prophets Jeremiah and Hananiah wanted, whom we encounter in this morning's Old Testament reading. And we'll start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you may have heard, is known as the weeping prophet. A weeping prophet. He was a prophet because even before he was in his mother's womb, the Lord had appointed and consecrated him to be his mouthpiece, to proclaim the word of the Lord. The weeping came because the message that he was given to proclaim was a terrifying one indeed. Namely, that the nation of Judah was now facing God's justice and wrath. This people had time and again rebelled against the God who had rescued them from the Egyptians, who had brought them into a prosperous land, who had taught them His ways, who had defended them against their enemies, who had promised to dwell in their midst. And yet, in spite of all of these blessings, this people time and again turned away from Him. You know, even before they came into the promised land, in the, in the desert, God gave them two pathways. They're found in Deuteronomy. They're known as the blessings and the curses. The blessings. God says to them, worship me. Obey what I set forth for your own good, and it will be well, and the blessings are yours. But rebel. Worship other gods. Turn from my life-giving ways and you will face my judgment and my wrath. You will be taken from this land that I have given you and you will be forced to serve under the iron yoke of a foreign king. Well, for those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, of those two paths, which do they walk? You know that it didn't take long before they worshipped and made mere idols, sometimes even putting them in the temple itself. They did not care for the poor and the oppressed. Adultery ran rampant. Their children were not taught to follow the good ways of God. And we could go on and on. And over and again, God in His mercy and His loving kindness sent forth the prophets to bring back this people to repentance, to bring back to Him. And over and again, the message of the prophets is ignored, or worse, Already the northern kingdom of Israel had fallen to the Assyrians, and now God was sending another mouthpiece, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, to proclaim that Judah also 
is facing God's judgment. You know, the judgment was coming from a most unexpected place. It was coming from Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, a foreign king, would be God's own instrument against his own people. And in 605 B.C., the Babylonian armies march into Judah and in Jerusalem. They even go into the temple. They carry away some of the holy vessels. They force the king to bow down and swear allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar. And they take some of the finest and brightest young men, including Daniel, hundreds of miles away into Babylon, into exile. And then Jeremiah comes on the scene and he says, this is God's judgment. Do not now rebel against Babylon. You shall serve this kingdom for 70 years. But his message is not heeded. And the king and the others plot rebellion, bristling under God's judgment. And so seven years later, Nebuchadnezzar's army come once again into Jerusalem. This time they take away the king, put a puppet king in his place. He goes again into the temple, takes more of the precious items, and this time he doesn't just take a few young men, he takes thousands of the people into exile. And so a new king is put in place. His name is King Zedekiah, king of Judah. And as the reign of this king begins, and as the Babylonian army marches off, God gives Jeremiah a most curious task. He tells Jeremiah to make a wooden yoke. Now, a wooden yoke is a long piece of wood that is used to put upon the shoulders of two oxen. And this piece of wood is bound to each ox by a, a, a collar and leather straps. And the point of the yoke is that these two oxen are now in tandem and they pull with power together as they plow the fields. Well, Jeremiah goes and makes this yoke and he begins to wear it around day after day in the midst of the people. He wears it in the temple. He wears it in the marketplaces. He wears it everywhere. You know, I, I think it's kind of like a nose ring. Have you ever talked to someone with a nose ring in? It's really hard not to look at it. And I think that's kind of its point. It, it desires to bring attention to that. If you have one, I'm not meaning to offend you. <laughs> But the yoke is designed to send a message. And the message is that Judah is now yoked to Babylon. And if this people will not submit, they will be utterly wiped out. And so day after day, Jeremiah wears this yoke around, sending a message loud and clear. And I think it goes something like this. You and your fathers and your father's fathers have rebelled against God. You have forsaken his ways. You are now facing his just judgment and you are to submit to Babylon for the next 70 years. Well, listen, that's a terrible message to have to proclaim. And you can only imagine that the prophet who told the people that they had rebelled against God and they now faced his judgment and had to serve a foreign king for 70 years, well, that prophet sure to encounter persecution. Jeremiah faced it in spades. Not only was he scorned and mocked, not only was he beaten, arrested, put in prison, not only did his family and friends forsake him, not only was he thrown into an empty well and left there for dead, but after 40 years of ministry, as far as we can tell, only two people ever listened and heeded his words. 
Talk about a cause for weeping. Then there was his own great sorrow at the sin of the people to whom he was ministering and their stubborn, rebellious hearts that refused to turn back to God who loved them. You put all of that together and you have the weeping prophet. But if we're going to make any sense of this morning's Old Testament passage, we need to know that Jeremiah was not the only prophet in town at the time. There were other prophets. They proclaimed a very different message. We meet one named Hananiah in our reading today. You know, I think Hananiah grew tired of seeing that yoke about Jeremiah's neck day after day and and the message that that yoke sent. And so we are told that one day all of the people were in the temple courts. Leaders, priests, common folk. Jeremiah with that yoke around his neck again. And Hananiah. And Hananiah decides that he is going to prophesy. And so he stands up there in the presence of all the people and he prophesies and he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I will bring back to this place all of the vessels of the house of the Lord and your king and all of our family and friends who have been taken into exile. For thus says the Lord, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon within two years. Well, that message must have tickled the ears. The people there in that temple, they must have been delighted to hear such a happy proclamation. Peace, it's on its way. It's almost here. But there's a problem, isn't there? What is it? It flies in the face of everything that God has spoken through Jeremiah thus far. Jeremiah knows this. And so he gets up, yoke about his neck. In the midst of all the priests, all the people of Judah, and he says, Amen. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come to pass. That the temple items might come back from Babylon. That all of our family and friends might be brought back from exile. And you know what? I don't think he's being sarcastic here. I think that is the desire of his heart. I think he would gladly be wrong. He would gladly be the fool if it meant that God's people would not have to be under judgment and face what they're going to have to face. But yet he knows that this is not what God has decreed and he knows this is not keeping in with reality. And so he continues, Nevertheless, The prophets who preceded you and me, Hananiah, from ancient times, they prophesied war and famine and pestilence against great kingdoms and many countries. But as for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has sent that prophet. You know what? He is right. If you read the Old Testament prophets, you will hear one after another foretelling judgment in the form of great hardships. Why? Why isn't their message, why isn't Jeremiah's message, everyone wins and everyone gets prizes? It's a quote from Alice in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll's novel. Everyone wins and everyone gets prizes. Are they simply a gloom and doom type of people? 
Do they serve a gloom and doom type of God who simply cannot wait for someone or a nation to mess up so he can smash them with his wrath? No. We serve a loving God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in kindness, and yet still a God of judgment and justice. And so we need to understand something else here. A prophet in the Bible is not someone who simply predicts the future. That is to say, they are not just foretellers. Prophets are also forthtellers. That is to say, they say in the present, from God's point of view, what is happening in the here and now. And prophet after Old Testament prophet foretells, foretells to God's people that they are in the midst of rebellion against Him. That their hearts are not turned toward God. That they are not following His ways. And so they urge the people, turn back to God who has so richly blessed you. But understand that because the prophets foretell in the present rebellion, they foretell in the future judgment. You know, God's purpose in all of it is that the wicked might turn from his or her ways and live. But Hananiah and all the other false prophets, they want to bypass all of that gloom and doom stuff. They don't want to talk about sin or judgment or all of that type of gloom. Hananiah is content to allow the people to wallow in idolatry and adultery, abuse of others, gossip, slander, theft, unforgiveness and all the other things that flow out of the fallen human heart. Hananiah is content to say that God doesn't really care about these things. He's not offended. Hananiah doesn't want to acknowledge God's just judgment. And so he promises the people a peace without repentance, without turning back to God. But in the end, his message is just a waterless spring in a barren desert. A waterless spring in a barren desert. A mist. And we see this as we get back to there in the temple courts, back to the story. All the people are there. The priests are there. The leaders are there. Hananiah is there. And Jeremiah, with that yoke about his neck, he there is too. He is there as well. And Hananiah gets up in the midst of all the people and he walks over to Jeremiah and he takes that stinking yoke off of his neck that he's so tired of looking at and he breaks it in half. And he holds it up in the midst of all the people. And he says, even so declares the Lord, I have broken the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar and within two years will they be brought back. What do you think the scene was like when he's holding up those yokes and proclaiming this news? I think it was pandemonium. I think there was rejoicing and celebrating, hooting and hollering. The whole place goes bananas at this good news. Everyone, except one, the weeping prophet, who quietly makes his way out of the temple courts, tears streaming down his cheeks over the rebellion of God's people. And sometime later, the word of the Lord again comes to Jeremiah. And he says, go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars, but you have put in their place bars of iron. For I have put upon this nation 
and upon the other nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar. So then Jeremiah goes to Hananiah. We have confrontation of the prophets part two. He says, listen, Hananiah, God didn't send you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus declares the Lord, behold, within the year I will wipe you off the face of this earth, for you have uttered rebellion against God. Whew. Jeremiah, Ananiah rather, is now under God's judgment. And within the year, he dies. What about King Zedekiah, the king of Judah? What about the other people of Jerusalem? Well, they never did repent and heed God's judgment. They sought for the third time to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And this time in 587, he comes and he takes the city and he burns it to the ground. He destroys the temple. He doesn't just take things from it. Not a stone is left on another. And those people who are not killed are carried off into exile, into Babylon. And yet God, in His loving kindness, in His mercy, He even still will not abandon His people, nor will He turn from His good plans for this world, even though it is in rebellion against Him. And so after 70 years, he brings the people back from Babylon into the promised land once again. And they begin to wait and wait and wait for the one whom the Lord sends who will bring peace, true peace. Well, what does all of that have to do with us this morning? How does it apply for those of us, whether we be middle school girls or Miss America pageant contestants or soldiers, fathers, people with worries, people burdened by our sins who long for peace? What does this have to do with us? And I want to put before you two things in closing this morning. First and foremost, we need to know that there are still false prophets today who speak in the marketplaces and in all sorts of areas causing people to trust in the lie. They are false prophets who promise peace without repentance, peace without turning back to God for healing and forgiveness. There are those who promise peace while turning a blind eye to sin. They want to deny that God is a just judge, or that he cares how we relate to him or to one another. You know, even our churches have started to proclaim this message. But there's another false prophet at large within the world today. At least I know he's in Buford, and I think he's probably here as well. His name isn't Hananiah. We'll rather call him consumerism. Consumerism gets up in the midst of, the pe- of all the people in the marketplaces or where people gather And he prophesies and foretells peace. He says, peace is coming your way. Not by turning to God, not by repenting, not by following God's ways, because consumerism doesn't think that sin is your problem. Rather, consumerism tells you that peace is coming by getting things. Get this car. Get this house. Get this cut of clothing. Get this look. Get this relationship. Get your child into this university. Get this promotion. Get, get, get. And when you get these things, you will have the peace that you so want. 
You ever heard that false prophet? Some of us have even tried to drink from that well and found it empty. Never does consumerism foretell that rather than getting things to find peace, we need to give ourselves to God. And so like Hananiah, consumerism foretells a false peace that so many people trust in a lie. But it is a waterless spring in a barren desert. A waterless spring in a barren desert, a mist. And so we need to be aware for ourselves and we need to be aware for all of the children that are in this room that there are false prophets out there who promise peace without turning to God or following His ways. But here's the most important thing that I want to tell you today. The one who speaks true peace into the human heart, true peace into cities, into nations, he has been sent from God. When he was born, the angels proclaimed glory to God and they sang of peace. When he walked upon the earth, he spoke peace to the sinners and even to a storm did he say, peace, be still. He was sent because each of us has an iron yoke about our necks. It's the iron yoke of sin. We might prefer to not talk about it, to turn a blind eye against it, but the reality is that God's word says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, that we have turned from him who has blessed us so richly. This sin, it breaks our peace with God. It places us under his just judgment. And it also destroys our peace with one another. And so God, in his loving mercy, sent someone who could break the iron yoke from off of our necks because we cannot do it of ourselves. He sent one to establish peace. Like Jeremiah, he too would wear a yoke of wood about his neck. But the yoke that he wore was the wooden Roman cross. Whereupon the sinless Son of God, Jesus, was killed. And like the yoke that Jeremiah wore, that cross of Jesus, it sends us a message today as well. First, it tells us of God's just judgment. The cross tells us that this is what sin does. It desires to do away with God. It wishes to get Him out of the mix so that we can do what we want. It also tells us that this is what sin deserves. Death and separation from God. And so we look upon the cross whereupon the sinless Son of God was killed and judgment is proclaimed to us that we are guilty. It doesn't tickle the ears, does it, to hear that? To hear that we are sinners? But let me ask you, does that foretelling not ring true with what you know to be the case of your own life and in your own heart? That you have not loved God with your whole heart. That you have not loved others as yourself. But the cross does not only foretell judgment. It is also the foreteller and the bringer of peace. Because it is through the yoke that Jesus bore that he took upon God's judgment that should have been ours upon his own shoulders. 
on his own body on the tree. And he did it so that you and I might have peace and we might have forgiveness. That we might have true peace with God, everlasting peace with him. You know, Jesus doesn't try to downplay sin or judgment, but he takes that upon himself. And as we come to him, as we acknowledge our sin before him, as we did a short while ago, and we also accept his free gift of forgiveness, his peace begins to come and rule within the human heart. And it begins to rule in our lives no matter what terrifying circumstances we might be facing. Last Saturday night, I faced a terrifying circumstance. I was coming out of the church preparing my sermon. It was about 9.30. And as I walked out of the church building, a man came out of nowhere and he put a gun to my head. And he said, give me your keys and your wallet or I will kill you. I didn't have my keys or my wallet on me. So he took me to my office where they were. Tied me up, my hands behind my back. And he said, now give me three reasons why I shouldn't kill you right now. I said, well, I have a wife and three kids whom I love very much. I am here doing God's work. And if you do kill me, you're going to have to answer to him. He said, are you sure about that? I said, yeah, I'm sure. Put the gun to my head again, and he said, I'll be back. Ran out of my office toward my car. I managed to free myself. I went to my phone, locked my door as fast as I could, I can tell you that. Called 911, and the police were there in an instant. But here's what I want to say. I knew a peace in the midst of that circumstance that I couldn't explain. Because I knew that I had peace with God and that whatever happened, I would be with Him forever. A peace that passes all understanding. And that is what happens when we come to the Lord Jesus. We acknowledge our sin before Him and we say, Lord, I am a sinner, but your saving is greater still. And will you come into my life, establish peace with God, Will you let me take your yoke, Lord Jesus, upon me that I might learn from you? And as we do so, I don't know how it works, but as we are yoked with the Lord Jesus, his peace begins to rule in our hearts no matter what we might face. And so the Lord, that you might know this day that the Lord desires for you to have peace in your life by turning back to him, a peace that can rule all of it, peace that is everlasting. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks this day that you put upon your own neck the wooden yoke of the Roman cross that we might have forgiveness and peace once again with you and the Father. I pray that this day we might come to you, that we might come take your yoke upon our shoulders, learn from you, for you are gentle and lowly in heart. In your name do we pray. Amen.